Coming up on Transformers University, we'll dive into the Transformers Universe guidebooks from Marvel Comics as we continue our look into 1986 right now on Transformers University. Hello, my friend, and welcome to episode 84 of Transformers University. I am your host, Anthony Brucali, owner-operator, Madman, behind TFU.info, the website, the Toy Archive, this podcast, the YouTube channel, and oh so much more. This time around, we are talking about one of my favorite pieces of media from the 80s from the Transformers brand, and that is the Marvel Comics Transformers Universe Guidebooks. It was a four-issue mini-series, and it was basically profiles of every character up until that point in time. Now, before I delve into the history on this, and before I tell you why I love this, I do want to give a few shout-outs. And I want to say thank you to three new patrons over at our Patreon, patreon.com slash tfuinfo. And the first of the people I'd like to thank and give a shout out to is Glenn Jakeman of Cymru Nerd Cave, and I'm glad he gave me the proper pronunciation of that because I would have butchered it. Uh, apparently Welsh is a really strange language to read, and uh, Glenn has joined up at the super senior level. Thank you so much, Glenn. Check out his uh, Twitter at Cymru Nerd Cave. That's C-Y-M-R-U-N-E-R-D-C-A-V-E. Uh, he also has a great YouTube channel, and he has a great podcast called Back to the 80s. Uh, that is in my overly long list of podcasts I need to listen to. But I really do enjoy his YouTube channel, so please do check out Glenn and uh, check him out on Twitter, too. He posts a lot of really cool stuff. Also now joining the Patreon uh, class is an old friend of mine. Brian Kilby from Radio Free Cybertron. You've heard him on the show before. Uh, if you don't know about Radio Free Cybertron over at TF Radio on Twitter and tfradio.net on the web, it is the longest-running Transformers podcast in the world. It is one of the longest-running podcasts in the world uh, going since 1999. Uh, it is where I started, and I'm so happy to have Brian on as one of our patrons. Finally, rounding up to 30 patrons, we have the return of a former patron who left and came back and came back strong at the super senior level, Dinobot Maximize. So Dinobot Maximize, thank you so much for joining up. Uh, I really do enjoy our conversations about Transformers Earth Wars, and uh, uh, thank you so much for being part of the show. Hey, want to help out this podcast or the website tfu.info? There's a number of ways you can do it. Let me tell you how. You can help us directly by joining our Patreon and enrolling as a student at Transformers University. There, you'll get early access to the podcast as well as exclusive behind-the-scenes peaks and perks for as little as $1 a month. Sign up is quick and easy. Just swing on by to www.patreon.com slash tfuinfo. Another way you can help us is by using our Amazon link, www.tfu.info slash Amazon. Type that into your browser whenever you want to shop at Amazon, and a portion of what you spend 
will be contributed back to us. It's that easy. Finally, you don't become the world's longest running transforming toy archive without some help from other fans. We're always on the hunt for photos of figures and accessories we're missing from our pages. If you'd like to contribute, go to tfu.info slash help for a list of what we need or send an email to info at tfu.info. tfu.info, the alpha trion and omega prime of transforming toys. Now, back to the show. Now, on to Transformers Universe 1 to 4. These books, you know, these are ones I loved because they were just basically long versions of the tech specs. At least that's what they were to me as a kid. Uh, Reading them now, again, as a 40-year-old or 41-year-old, I should say, going on 42, they do uh, read differently, especially knowing the tech specs the way I do because I've had a chance to reread them a whole bunch of times and catch up with them online, right? Um, Because when... You were a kid in the 80s and 90s. You only read the tech specs if you had them. Uh, Knowing what the other ones said of the toys you didn't have, unless you read them in the store and memorized them somehow, you really didn't have access to them. So this gave you access to all the character profiles and expanded versions at that. Now, these apparently were the extended bio material written by Bob Budiansky, who also wrote the comic for the early run that we've been covering, as well as the tech spec bios. And it's interesting to note, now rereading this through, I found some uh, some differences between the two that I never noticed before, uh, and and some big differences between sometimes, uh, you know, the quotes of certain characters and uh, the abilities and, and just seeing where things might have gotten switched up and mistakes might have been made somewhere along the line. Uh, it's really neat rereading these, and if you can hunt these down... Uh, you really should. Now, the art in these is generally retouched character model art from the TV show. Uh, usually re-inked by Aiken and Garvey. Uh, we have some neat covers here by Herb Trimpey, uh, and there are squares with headshots of the characters in the background. If you're wondering why those may look a little familiar to you, or the format may look a little familiar to you, it's because I lifted it for TFU.info. Uh, so if you ever notice on the Toy Archive, every character gets a face close-up. Uh, at the top of their entry, and that that comes from these. Uh, I don't know if it was intentional, but it was certainly influenced by these character headshots, and they're really neat. Uh, they the covers span front and back. These books were premium editions for the '80s, uh, so they had wraparound covers, no advertisement on the back, and they cost a whopping dollar twenty-five back in 1986. And of course, you know, Nell Yamtov did the colors for these as well. Uh, and there, there's a lot of credits in that first first issue. The thing that is worth really mentioning here, because there's a lot of names and a lot of it is just production side things, um, is the final name listed in here. And that is Irving Forbush, spare part. Now, Irving Forbush is a fictitious human being. He is a uh, Marvel character known as Forbush Man. It is a character that Stan Lee created. It was originally a mascot of Marvel's Not Brand Ech book, which was a parody book. Uh, Ech spelled E-C-H-H. And he's basically the, the office screw-up uh, invented by Stan Lee. He eventually does um, transcend into mainline Marvel Universe as Four Bushmen. Uh, who is basically a superhero, wears, I think, a colander on his head, or uh, just like a pot. And fun note here, 
tying it all back to Stan Lee, if you ever watch the Netflix Marvel series, such as Daredevil and uh, Jessica Jones and Luke Cage, there are advertisements that are the Stan Lee cameo, and uh, they're plastered around New York on bus stops and on walls, and the character that is associated with Stanley's face is Irving Forbush. That comes full circle and comes back to these books. So diving into the first book, this cover has Bumblebee on the front, Bruticus on the back. The characters on the cover coincide with the characters within the book, and it's an alphabetical listing. So in book one, we have Air Raid through Grimlock. And I'm just going to give you a few of the highlights that I found. Uh, Air Raid... His personality seems to be a little bit swapped with Slingshot. He's a kind of a hotshot, kind of a hothead. They mention on Beachcomber that he is agile, very agile. He can hop around. Uh, it's pretty interesting. I guess it goes with his vehicle mode, but uh, it's not something we ever really saw from Beachcomber. One of uh, Blastoff's abilities is that he can hit an Autobot on the ground from 12,000 miles up. Um, why wouldn't the Decepticons just use him to, I don't know, sniper everyone? Well, they built that into his tech spec too. Uh, his, that ability inhibited by 80% from Earth's atmosphere. Uh, so the atmosphere is interference and only makes it 20% successful, I guess. But still, that's like one in five. Why wouldn't you use that all the time? Uh, Blue Streak is drawn with no shoulder cannons, but uh, also explains that he has a deep psychological scars, being the final survivor of his home city. And that's one, you know, IDW, I think, made him from Praxis, and there were a lot of characters from Praxis. Uh, it, this one bothers me because this is such a really cool character uh, trait. I don't want to say flaw, I want to say trait. And it's never really been picked up in any of the continuities. Blue Streak's kind of always this kind of happy-go-lucky character and um, who just can't shut up. But like the fact that he can't shut up because he's hiding all this insecurity, uh, oh man, that, that is deep. That would be really fun uh, for someone to write and run with. Bone Crusher, and I've seen this a couple of times in these books, and I won't mention it every time, but there's a quote like a motto, text spec motto, and then there's a quote within the bio, and it's like, why would you have two quotes? Breakdown. Uh, you know, I didn't realize this was mentioned in his toy text spec, but Breakdown would rather be human, and they don't really go into really why on his toy text spec, and it's because he's really overly paranoid, and what we find in these books is how dysfunctional the Stunticons really are uh, as a unit and individually. Uh, again, another piece of fiction that really hasn't been explored properly and that really should be. Bumblebee here notes his visual acuity, which is really important for me to note because it's something we've seen in a lot of the ancillary media, the Marvel coloring books, the the, the Find Your Fate Jr. books. Uh, a lot of these mention how Bumblebee can see and has this excellent sight. And it mentions this in here. It also mentions his underwater skills, which I believe come up in some of those books as well. Cliff Jumper. Uh, one line in here that's very interesting is that he suffers from literal blowouts. Uh, the word literal and blowouts is in there. Uh, and this actually harkens back to Cliff Jumper's working name being blowout and not Cliff Jumper. Um, because otherwise that word literal doesn't make any sense. He also literally can't jump up a cliff. 
don't believe me, go watch Enter the Nightbird. Dirge, they mention the sounds of his engines and how they bring fear. And to me, uh, being into metal in the mid and late 90s, there was a record label, uh, still a record label called Relapse Records, and they had a side label called Release Records, and they released noise projects. And I never quite understood them, but if I was to guess one of those projects, something like what I'm about to play is probably how Dirge's engine sound. Eject wants to be a sportscaster, and his uh, tech spec specifically mentions Nolan Ryan, um, which really dates the tech spec, given Nolan Ryan's been retired for about 30 years. First Aid's tech spec says nowhere on it that he's a pacifist, and that's a little strange given how he was characterized in the show as basically Transformers' version of Lifeline. Frenzy, the blue one, uh, has a rolling drum noise to create uh, panic in his enemies, and I'm sure it sounds like something else from release records. It also notes that Rumble, the red one, is his brother. Uh, And I like that the rolling drums, those are the cassette wheels in his chest, right? So those at a larger scale somehow generate this noise. And finally, Gears, uh, that mentions he can fly. Uh, using compressed air and then float to land. So essentially, he's kind of like a hot air balloon when he flies. A little weird, but uh, interesting stuff. Now, on to issue two. Issue two features Optimus and Megatron shooting at each other on the wraparound cover. Of note in the headshots is that Metroplex is in city mode, so you don't see his face, you see his ramp. And this issue covers Groove, through Ramjet. Now, a couple of neat things about Groove. One, the art really does an interesting thing with his exhaust pipes, working them into being part of his legs and attaching to his feet. It's re- pretty cool as far as uh, design goes. But his bio also mentions that he is a pacifist. Uh, so it makes me wonder if the, the writers of season three essentially decided to switch them around, switch him with first aid to to make the doctor the pacifist moving on to hook of the constructicons uh it does say in in his bio here that he is the decepticons surgeon which is pretty neat since we didn't really get a decepticon doctor officially outside of this ironhide's entry uh shows his repair bay his uh battle platform i guess for ironhide and mentions he is quote the oldest autobot I think that's more hyperbole than fact, but uh, it's fun that he's mentioned there. And I guess early on in the writing of it, he probably was the oldest Autobot until they wrote older ones. Jazz's artwork shows his Cybertronian mode and calls him Optimus's right-hand man. Megatron has a lot of interesting changes uh, in his entry. First off, his quote, which... Many know as peace through tyranny is not the quote on his bio here. The quote on his bio here is everything is fodder. Wilbur, you shouldn't give him peppermint candy to eat. It's bad for his teeth. He likes peppermint candy. Now she's right. You've spoiled the horse's appetite. Now he won't eat his fodder. Eat his fodder? Mm-hmm. What do you think Finnegan is, a cannibal? No, she's going to hang his fodder on his nose. 
Ain't he gonna look funny with his fart on his nose? He eats his fodder every day. Finnegan eats his fodder every day? Sure. Well, what's his fodder eat? He eats his fodder. Oh. And what's his mother eat? Well, she eats her fodder. Mm-hmm. It's getting worse all the time. Oh, what's used to talking to you? Must be Father's Day. It also mentions how he rose through the Decepticon ranks uh, and acquired the nickname the Slag Maker. Uh, another interesting take, since a lot of a fiction has had Megatron as the creator of the Decepticons, not just a soldier that has arisen to the top. And the other note in here is that they say Megatron has power and intellect equal to Optimus Prime. Moving on, Menasaur is uh, definitely a mental mess, more so than most combiners, and they attribute it because the Stunticons, the four limbs of the Stunticons actually, all hate Motormaster. What a dysfunctional team that really, really should be explored in fiction. Metroplex has the longest entry. It spans uh, two pages plus, uh, and Optimus has a uh, long entry as well. But the interesting thing about Optimus's entry is that it has a whole bunch of, of little tidbits that you probably find amusing. Uh, his entry splits his pieces of his toy into three parts of Optimus Prime. The Optimus unit is the robot. Uh, I guess that means Prime is Roller, um, but they do mention Roller and Combat Deck as separate units. It mentions he has the personality of Abraham Lincoln, and due to a typo, which I guess meant to be 4 million, but they missed a comma, he can lift up to... 4,000,000 ,000 pounds. It also has the rear of his robot mode, uh, his back, I should say, shown in the character model art. Moving on to the rest of the book, Perceptor has uh, some weird face art and colors. We find out that Pipes is a lot like many Transformers fans and uh, an insatiable collector. Predaking's bio here is the only U.S. representation of his bio. His uh, gift set did not have one. In the United... Actually, three, two. It was not released in a gift set in the United States, and the only place he had a bio and a gift set was Japan. Ramhorn, the cassette for Blaster, is uh, accidentally drawn with a Decepticon shield. And finally, there are so many entries in this book that Ramjet, the final entry, is printed on the inside back cover. Moving on to issue three... Cover features Slag, Sludge, and Snarl on the front with Shockwave on the back. And this issue covers Rampage through Swindle. Of note in this one, Ratchet is a partier, uh, which we've never seen with Ratchet. He'd much rather be partying than being a doctor. Um, I feel like that would be young Ratchet. And then somehow the war and the doctoring kind of uh, turned him into know, a bitter old man, right? Um, so I guess he's kind of written more like Hawkeye from MASH uh, in some sense, at least. That would be my guess as to where Budiansky got his inspiration from. Rumble, the red one, has the rolling drum construction in his body, just like his brother Frenzy, the blue one. And that is used to create the rumble, not pile drivers as done in the TV show. Runamuck is fascinated with human junkyards. 
and Scavenger's name is quite literal. We find out that Scrapper is kind of a mobster, and Seaspray's entry notes that he has wheels on his underside, just like the toy. Now, Sideswipe does something that I've mentioned back in a previous episode, in that it seems he was swapped with Sunstreaker, uh, though his bio does note that Sunstreaker is his twin brother. Skylinks doesn't show his combined mode in the artwork, but interesting note in his bio is that he is always moving. Um, and he is always hopping around, moving in Lynx mode, and in bird mode, he is always floating because he thinks he's better than everyone and refuses to touch the ground. Uh, these are two little character traits that would be really neat to see used in uh, some sort of animation. There's a fun and amazing typo on Snarl's page where he is referred to as Snark. Um, I feel like Snark the Dinobot would be much more interesting <laughs> and much more sarcastic. Streetwise's name is double literal. He can map out a city with ease and drive around like he has lived there his whole life. Plus, he is always in the know as to what is going on. And lastly, Sunstreaker, uh, the fraternal twin, according to this bio, um, and again, seems swapped with Sideswipe. The key here is the jetpack, which really does play into Sunstreaker's engines on his back. Finally, that takes us to issue four. And if you haven't noticed, we're running low on letters, right? We're already into the S's and the back end of the S's at that. That's why issue four is padded out with a whole bunch of characters from Transformers, the movie. And on the cover of this one, it features Ultra Magnus and RC on the front, Unicron on the back, and it covers Steeljaw through Windcharger in the front. And then uh, for the movie characters, we'll get Arbalus all the way through Rekgar. Now, you may have noticed I said Steeljaw. That's because Steeljaw was misalphabetized into this. So he technically should be before Sunstreaker, right? and before Streetwise, and, and a couple others. Yet he kicks off this book. Also in issue four is Swoop, who uh, apparently is ugly. <laughs> um, even the Autobots think his uh, dino mode is ugly. I thought that was a weird, weird twist on the character. And jumping to Tailgate's profile, I find this one really, really interesting. Uh, <laughs> Tailgate's profile uh, in long form kind of makes him one... Uh, he believes the mechanical uh, things on Earth are alive, and he almost believes in like he almost believes in conspiracy theories to some extent. Um, let me just read some of this to you because I think this is really good. In fact, all of his views on Earth machines are warped. He likens cars locked in garages to imprisonment without a fair trial. He considers the buying and selling of household appliances to be slave trading. Efforts by his fellow Autobots to convince Tailgate that Earth machines are not alive and therefore not entitled to the same rights as Transformers have so far failed. The last line of his bio says, Tailgate is not a well robot. <laughs> this is great. Uh, it also mentions he has a magnet underneath his car that allows him to tailgate. Well, it really allows him to drift, but uh, it allows him to be pulled without using any power of his own. 
In these uh, entries, we also see the jump starters for the first time in the U.S. And uh, it mentions that Topspin and Twin Twist are brothers and that they both have fast transformations. And actually, it mentions that about the battle chargers as well. It's, it's a neat touch to kind of go with the toys, auto-transforming gimmick. Wheeljack's entry has uh, the first mention of the word bot-bot. It's a typo, but it's in there. The word Autobot is misspelled as Aubotbot, A-U-B-O-T-B-O-T. Another interesting note in Wheeljack's entry is that it says he is the most adept driver of the Autobots, that he is basically a stunt driver. Speaking of stunts, uh, Wild Rider, whose function is terrorist, is a literal terrorist in this uh, entry. Windcharger uh, mentions the magnetics of his arms, and he says that his arms are the poles of a magnet. And it doesn't explain if whether or not one arm is positive and one arm is negative. I think that would have been a, a pretty interesting take on the character, that uh, his magnetism only works depending on which arm he's using. It also would mean they would eventually get stuck together, which would really be funny to me. Um, <laughs> I guess that's why they never did it. And then the rest of the book pivots to the movie characters. These are shorter entries and definitely work off an older draft script of the film. But it does give us some things like an entry for Arbalus, uh, one of the Lithones from the planet Lithone. And I say that because it calls the people of that planet Lithones, not Lithonians. Uh, and his info is basically that he is the boy that cries wolf, which is he is the one who spots Unicron too. So uh, but that is his personality. We have a profile on RC, which is really the only profile we would have had on her for a very long time uh, after this. It mentions she has a crush on Hot Rod and she is a mother figure for Daniel, but she is also still a badass. Cyclonus's entry is interesting because it's fairly unsure of his alt mode of what it was going to look like. It also mentions he has no personality, but, and I don't mean that in like, he's kind of bland and boring. It literally says he has no personality, no interests other than conquest for the sake of Unicron and no weakness, which is probably why they left the weakness section out. But back to his alt mode and how the entry isn't even sure on its own. Cyclonus transforms into a gigantic multi-engine parentheses, and perhaps multi-wing jet fighter. So it doesn't even know if he has multi-engines or multi-wings in this entry, which kind of explains, it doesn't really explain in detail, but it definitely shows that even the script writers at the time of the film weren't sure what Cyclonus was going to be, which is why there's so much confusion to how he works in Transforms the movie. Is he Galvatron's ship? Is he somebody else? Is he small? Is he big? Is he an armada? That kind of goes to everything that is confusing about Cyclonus. On Hot Rod's page, he is uh, joined by Rodimus on the opposite page. It's a nice touch to put them together and not really keep Rodimus alphabetically correct, uh, but keep him with Hot Rod. And it does say that Rodimus becomes... Uh, the leader of the Autobots, but does not explain how. There's an entry for Kranix and more info on Lithone. I should also mention that Arbalus and Kranix have alternate modes that they show here. Um, the line in here about Lithone that is interesting is that, uh, like all Lithones, 
Kranix possesses a high percentage of emotional circuits in his computer brain. But instead of incapacitating him with fear, as it does his friend Arbalus, these extra emotional circuits have given him the most complete personality of any robot in existence. In fact, Autobots who have met both Kranix and Earthlings have actually said he is more human than some of the Earthlings they know. So, Lithone is kind of an interesting place, or was kind of an interesting place, right? Because it was destroyed in the far-off future of 2005, because it has robot life that is highly emotionally intelligent. And that is a, a neat touch and something, again, that would be really cool to see explored in future Transformers fiction. And finally, also on Kranix, uh, his transformation is, uh, I think, a quarter of a second, which is uh, faster than the Battle Chargers or the Jump Starters, which is kind of a, a sly way to explain how he transformed and got away from Unicron. Cup Century has a uh, very, very obtuse Shakespeare reference. Uh, but it also explains his name, which if you haven't figured out, and if I haven't said it before, Cup turns into a pickup truck. That's how he gets his name. It's the back end of the word pickup, or two words, pickup. There's an entry in here for the Quintessons, and it mentions that they work for Unicron, almost like Galactus's Sentinels in Marvel Comics. And the one thing I discovered rereading this this time around was about Scourge uh, and the sweeps. It mentions his alt mode being, and I quote, a scouring vehicle. And then I realized, I was looking at these guys, and I realized what, what they were. Scourge and the sweeps are essentially designed after dish sponges. Not the square kind, but like the round kind that's on a handle, like the triangular kind. They're scouring pads. So there you go. They are transforming scouring pads. That is why Scourge has sweeps. Springer's entry once again notes his springing, jumping ability. And uh, we also get an entry in here for Unicron. Uh, the only bio he would have for a very long time until 2003's toy, really. And worth noting here, I, and I recently just uploaded the Unicron bio from 2003 onto the site as part of his entry in 2003 for the toy from the Armada line. The bio was published on the back of his trading card from a trading card set issued by Fleer of that year. So a lot of those bios are rare, I guess. They're just hard to come by. Uh, you can actually buy the set pretty cheaply on eBay. But I've gone and added a bunch of them to the site, including Unicron's. Moving on to the rest of what's left in Transformers Universe, Wheelie, uh, once again, is referred to as the wild boy of Quintesson, not Quintessa, and Rekgar's entry shows multiple uh, character models for the Junkions, ones that we would see throughout the rest of Season 3 and the show. Thanks for listening to the show. Stick around to hear what's coming up next episode. But first, I want to fill you in on a few ways you can stay in touch with the show. Want to be on the show? Leave us a voicemail at 702-763-4838. That's 702-POD-4TFU. Or send an email to info at tfu.info. Be sure to catch us on Twitter at TFU underscore info and on Facebook and Instagram under the username TFU info, all one word. 
Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash TFUinfo, where we post all of our podcasts, plus special video segments, reviews, and live coverage of Transformers-related events such as New York Toy Fair and New York Comic Con. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please visit us at www.tfu.info, the world's longest-running transforming toy archive. And coming up next time on Transformers University, we wrapped up the Find Your Fate Junior books from the United States, but, but there were still more over in Europe being published by Young Corgi each year. And this will actually continue on beyond 1986, but there were two books published in 1986, and we will talk about both of those next time on Transformers University. So until then, I am your host, Anthony Brucalli, owner, operator, madman behind TFU.info. See ya.